Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Last Talk More Movies, the show where we try and talk about movies, but never talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... John Wayne Gacy. Sean <laughs> <laughs> To my right is... Colm Hearn. Oh, fuck, he actually just said his name. <laughs> <laughs> and he is back. Good evening, gentlemen. Dominic Heinen. <laughs> and our social media PR guru... Mr. Gowan Gallagher. Hello, hey. gents. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. hello. hello, hello. hello, hello. Oh, I'm very sure the video quite in the game. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, by the way, for your back, there's English accent scratched off straight away. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have that anyway, just with Dominic. <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's somebody doing an English accent. That's just somebody who Come has on. an English accent. It sounds fake. <laughs> I mean, imagine your, your accent pretty much as thick. You, you said that you had like a very rough, coarse no, Stevenage accent. You kind of had to bleed that out of yourself. Uh, well... No, my accent would be very much sort of generic southern, but people would be able to think I was from London. Sorry, guys, I don't think I can do this because I fucking ate shitloads of mushrooms. I didn't think that they were going to come up that quickly. Of course you can fucking do it. Are you serious? Of course you can! <laughs> That's right, I was just giggling at you because all of a sudden these fucking patterns start coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering, he was just staring at his phone, not what was happening, he was laughing, what the fuck? Well, you have to fucking do it now, you can't, you can't say it to the audience. I wanted to surprise you halfway, so I'm like, oh, is, is that the crime you had, Emmett? <laughs> no, 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 well, technically, I. I've got a good story, I was just... <laughs> I was listening to my voice. I was just like, shut up, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if I can actually say anything without laughing, so I That's right. That's right. But I laughed laughter. Never hurt anybody. Why are, eating, why are we eating mushrooms at like five o'clock on a Friday evening? No, I fucking ate them just now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought, oh, no, I'd probably take me about half an hour, 45 minutes to come up. Is that why you went down right. the toilet? Yeah. Like, the, minute, minutes, <laughs> the minute, the minute I just sat down here, I was just like, fuck. <laughs> oh, I have to my talk ball- about films for two hours. <laughs> my, my balls are tingling like I've just fucking come, man. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Let's talk more mushies. Let's talk more shroomies. I don't think I've got, there's shit going in the, in the garden still, but I don't think I've got any left. Don't even bring any for us fellow podcasters. This could have been a very interesting episode. No. I wasn't sure if they were or not. That's the thing. I didn't want to fucking poison anybody. Uh, so you just, so you just them talk on about yourself. <laughs> you know what? There's a tripper in that way. Like, oh my oh, word. Jesus. There's all my stuff. Uh, 
just don't drop any on the floor because yeah, Sticky comes in here. Uh, <laughs> that was the ulterior oh, mode of the whole time. Yeah. No, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's see how tonight goes, don't <laughs> We're not like five minutes on. Okay. Let's move on to. Thomas bent over and lost the things of my whole thing. <laughs> Didn't even realise we were actually recording that. <laughs> <laughs> Danger ball in the top drawer? Yes. Lovely uh, stuff. Supplied by our very own Gary Owen Gallagher. Oh yes, oh yes. What a fine gent he is. And the danger bottle this week is well, it's very warm. It's meant to be. It's fresh. <laughs> Harvest fruits mold stole pear cider. Special winter edition. This delicious mulled spice fruit triple blends the finest ingredients to provide a rich and warming flavour of subtle spicy notes. Percentage, 5%. It's very low. Ah, Who cares? It's getting cracked up on. Is it still warm, I? Yeah, it's still warm, so it can. It's like mulled wine should be. You should probably yeah. try it in your sleep. <laughs> Do you want first go? Because I know yours? you go first, please. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you kindly. See, <laughs> it, it's, it's coloured of piss as well, so it could just be piss. Oh, it's very strange. Tastes like topics. How do you know what that makes this? That was a weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck it. I don't know what I like that. It's quite uh, smooth, you would Harry. say. Why do you have to read it off the bottle? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite smooth. You know what? smooth with even the word I was going for. I was going for subtle. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't taste like pears. I don't know what it tastes like. It's a non-descript sort of taste. I'm going to have an here. Mm. I like that a lot. Don, okay. can you handle this? Or? Well, I was a bit wary of drinking anything acidic. Considering the amount of mushrooms I eat. <laughs> 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 Happily take mushrooms he's found in his garden. Won't drink pear cider. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Dom. By the way, should one of us knock our phone on, maybe get 999 on the go just in case? No, I've done mushrooms before. I'm no, no. Complete control of myself. <laughs> no, no. It's not my senses. This isn't your first rodeo, Dom, no? no this ain't Dom's first rodeo. <laughs> how, how was the pear cider, Dom? It was alright, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd bring something generally nice this time because the last few times I've bought terrible oh, sake and chocolate wine so far yes, this time. Yes. Plus, with the storm outside, I was like, something warm me up, you, you know? know it's, it is slightly warming. Yeah, it's see, it's kind of it's getting around that Christmas time. It's nice and warm and cozy in the tent. We got damn fucked on mushies. We got some mulled wine. You know what I mean? That's just like everybody's done it to Christmas, really. There's always an uncle on mushies somewhere. It's uh, subtle, smooth, fragrant, very light. Sorry for something that's mulled. Usually, mulled things are very dense. That's quite light. You fucking drank that all day, hey, couldn't you? <laughs> I thought you were going to go I well. <laughs> Okay, what have we watched this week, folks? Uh, I watched Doubt. It's a film that I wanted to watch for a long time. 2008, John Patrick Shanley uh, was based on his own play, which was like a Tony Award one and Pulitzer Prize one. He wrote and directed it. Uh, set in 1964 in a Bronx, uh, in this kind of strict Catholic school. The head of this Catholic school is Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Father Flynn, and then the principal of the school is Meryl Streep, who's called like Sister Ignatius or some shit like that there. Everything's motoring along grand in this Catholic school, and then one day a younger sort of nun, I think her name's Sister James, played by Amy Adams, she notices an altercation between 
uh, Father Flynn and the only black kid at the school, she reports that the Sister Ignatius, and we know evidence whatsoever, automatically assumes and, and condemns him as a, as a pedophile. And it's all in about this sort of witch hunt after Father Flynn. And it's a really good film. It's actually way better than what I expected because it's not your typical, you know, pedophile priest. There's a huge salty that goes throughout the whole script. You never know if Father Flynn's done it or not. And you, you, you still don't even know at the end. It's very vague. There was a thing that when the play was first released, uh, that people said the third act of doubt is the audience discussing it after whether or not Father Flynn has done it or not. And it's it's good because it leaves this curiosity and this sort of mystery. And it's just so well handled because it, it seesaws your sort of allegiances. I mean, I think it just shows the power of like Seymour Hoffman's performance as well. All his performances were good. But even though you think that he's a, possibly a pedophile, which is probably the greatest crime of all, for a good part of the film, you kind of want them to be innocent. You're, you're rooting for him. And obviously it says it in the title, Doubt. The, the, the central theme of the film is doubt and sort of intolerance. And the whole thing is, is that you have this in the back of your head the whole time. Is Sister Ignatius just going after Father Flynn because he's this young, sort of more liberal priest and he keeps saying about how the church should be more warm and welcoming where she's very much old disciplinarian you know hardcore fucking catholic and she doesn't want the church to move forward so you start to think is it a personal vendetta for her and is she just trying to sink him or does she genuinely believe that he, he has a pedophile or he's done these things and it's never answered and it's a, a cracking show that the, the cinematography amazing is deacons always deeks he's, he's, he's always fucking you know always puts out fucking beautiful films uh, and then just it's a very small minimalist cast but even from the actors I mean Meryl Streep who's considered maybe the greatest actress ever Philip Seymour Hoffman who was probably the greatest actor of his generation obviously died well. very young well I mean <laughs> I'm only uh, joking <laughs> and then Amy Adams and then there's a small cameo like a one scene wonder from Viola Davis from The Help she plays the uh, apparently abused child's mother and she just completely steals the scene from Meryl Streep which is you know, no mean feat like did she get nominated for that? She got is, nominated. Is there something that's the shortest? Annie Hopkins had the shortest nomination and then she took yes, over? Yes, she did get nominated and I think that she's in the film for about three and a half minutes and she got nominated for an Oscar but it, and it's not even one of those kind of niche oh let's just give you know let, let's be quirky and give a, a nomination to someone who's only done a three and a half minute performance but it literally is that good. Like, <laughs> the scene is so emotional. It's one of the rawest scenes you'll ever see. Uh, crack and fun and as I say way better than expected. Class. Heron, what have you watched this week? Uh, I've seen Spectre twice this week. And that I, good? I, and I, and I, no, I don't even like it that much. <laughs> i s- I seen it last week uh, with a friend because I was a, a bit hungover and I wanted to go to the cinema and Spectre was out and I, had, I was working so I didn't get the chance You're to see it. Huge fan, Not really, no. You fooled me all these years. No, I mean, I, I, like I've seen the stack of them. I was definitely more of a fan of them before Jason Bourne all came out. And then you just realise, fuck, Bond's about an app. <laughs> you know? And then I kind of think, but... Um, well, you like the Craig ones, though, then? I like the Craig ones I, because, because, you know, they they modernise the whole thing and they, they make it sort of relevant and they yeah. make it make sense that this could fucking happen so and stuff. Of course, is an ardent defender of Quantum of Solace. I am, I... We've had this argument before. Will that go back into <laughs> But um, Spectre, Spectre. Uh, I, saw, I went to see it with John as well. Then, my dad. Oh, oh yes. Oh, uh, what you're no keys were jangled hey? <laughs> <laughs> for two hours and forty minutes. Is that how long it is? I've seen it and I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> <laughs> you um, obviously key jangled and you zoned out for a while. I mean, 
classic. I mean, there's lots of things in it that um, I have a problem with. The action I find very slow in it. I find the action's not well shot. Like there's there's a chase scene in Rome, and you know you're in the new Aston Martin. I don't even think it's out yet, but uh, there's being chased by this Jag. It's sort of like uh, a newer version of like an XJ220. It's sort of Lamborghini looking one. This is That's why I'm saying the Lamborghini <laughs> looking one. <laughs> even <laughs> that was too much for me. The long yeah. one with the engine on the back. Aye. Right. Four wheels, and uh, <laughs> whatever. Uh, so, so five wheels. <laughs> five wheels really like you know. Uh, oh, but because uh, of the bit. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I and it's just um, this is the point of the film, is right? How everybody's just starting to pick up because it's a very sl- it's a slow start. I mean, the whole opening shots, uh, one take, and in, uh, in Mexico, well, about sixty percent of it. There's a big long take that goes on for a few minutes to start. Very impressive, but again, sort of slow because it's not really. In the back of your mind, you know it's not building anything massively important because it's James Bond. It's just an impressive thing. Mm-hmm. It's very flashy. And I find long takes flashy unless they're showing you something and all this was showing you just... Unless it's in the flash, yeah. Uh, and then uh, the thing in Rome and all that there and all, it was just... <laughs> it it wasn't... There was no thrill to it at all. There were sort of these big massive wide roads and they were going sideways around these roads and... Sideways, beautiful looking, like you know, like you know, Tokyo Drift and that kind of stuff and all. But it's just, I just find it very dull. And I just, I mean, maybe because it was Rome and all, and they were driving in front of these big places where they have operas and all, they wanted to be kind of like two cars dancing, sort of, or this kind of thing. But and then there was just this fucking stupid third character in there that wouldn't get out of the way, you know. And he was like driving all the boys catching up, and there was this sort of oh, just this token. Italian driving a wee Fiat. <laughs> and like, right, happy days. And then, I think one of my main things about it, I mean, there's there's lots of things in it that, you know, we, we, we talk about sometimes, I mean, I know I keep stumbling over myself because cause there's so many things that I think are just wrong with it, but we talk about films that try to um, reinvent, but then eventually end up pastiching themselves. Reconstruction became a reconstruction. Exactly, this became a reconstruction to me. Knock that off your bingo card. I know. And, uh... I mean, there's that sequence which generally just doesn't thrill me, and then the whole first hour is relatively quite slow. Um, they build up the reveal of a character, which you do see in the trailer that has been in the previous Bonds, and it's just it's fairly unclimactic. Uh, and then there's a sequence in it which is just very similar to a fight scene in a, a train with Roger Moore and another Bond. I mean. Do you, think like, do you think they're intentional references, or they are? I mean, it's a different type of Bond. I mean, it's not. It's not in keeping with the the Daniel Craig thing. I mean, right? There's a scene in it where there's somebody fighting on a train, and usually what happens is Bond gets the better of them. It's one way or another, and your boy gets a fucking boot out the window, right? <laughs> and this is what usually happens. And I was just sitting there going, right? This is a Daniel Craig one. Either Daniel Craig's going out, or they're both going out. But no, your man gets a bit out of Wanda. <laughs> and it was stuff like this, and I was like, right. And I was just, and just, I think the you thing. so frustrated trying to get these points. It's out. very hard because it's, a, it's, it's, I mean, the sets are beautiful. I mean, they globe, I think they, they globe trot like, like fuck in it. There's about eight or nine major locations in it. Just because they can. Just because they can. Uh, it has a record for the biggest explosion in film ever. Was it, oh, yeah. Was, was it, was it uh, underwhelming or was it. I just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main thing I can say about it. It's beautiful looking. Some of the action's okay. 
Craig is like Craig's one of his better performances at Bond. It's it, he's still better in Skyfall. Skyfall's generally a better film. There's a scene. Uh, there's one particular scene that fucked me off to no end. It was a, a chase scene with a plane, and again, it was a fucking. Is he chasing a plane or is he? No, no, he, I, he's just running after a plane. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> no, but uh, he's like, "Come back, you can't." No, but uh, yeah, no, he's chasing uh, a couple of jeeps in this plane, and uh, it's just this big showy kind of Roger Moore kind of thing where it's not. It's very admit admittingly that well we know he's not really in any danger because it's forty minutes on the film, yeah. and so he fucking flying about and then fucking knocks the wings off this plane and manages to reconnect with the convoy. <laughs> All this nonsense, yeah, it's very Roger Murray. Like, and I was just like, this is fucking daft. Like, damn, I tried that tonight. Reconnect with Roger Murray. Just <laughs> <laughs> is that a Roger Murray? <laughs> 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 it's long lost love. <laughs> I, I, but I mean, ultimately, like, um, I think the main thing is the difference that Skyfall had. One, Roger Deakins was shooting it. Oh, I actually not the end. That car sequence, that's what I was getting at. It's there's a there's a sort of a collision that happens in that in that uh, car chase, right? And I see what happened to Bond in it, but you don't see what happened. They there's like a main battle in that scene. You don't see what happened to him. It's just very convoluted, and really badly shot action, and then. You sort of see at the end. You, you don't see how hard the person got hit in the in the car accident, and you just see a hand hanging out, <laughs> hand <laughs> hanging out the back landing. And, uh, <laughs> but and then it's oh, it just goes on and on. There, there's some really nice moments in it. I think it definitely could have done maybe in half an hour shorter. I think the cinematography is not as good because you don't you, you don't feel the story being told to you as well as it was in Skyfall. And with uh, Silva and the comparison with the the new guy whatever the fuck he's called um you just don't feel really in any danger that threat that's well there's what there's one scene you do i have heard you probably know what i'm talking about christoph waltz is is christoph waltz i've I've heard a lot of people saying he's a a bit nah a bit too over the top no he's good he's good on it like but he's he's, i don't think he's good enough though you talked about sort of the cinematography being bad did you feel that in some scenes like you talk about the scene at the start the Birdman scene that's, that's what it's been called like AV Club called Birdman scene did you feel that the amount of CGI in the background has ruined it like for some the, reason every, the helicopter every, not, not even way before that like a lot of the past two or three Craig films opening scenes have that sort of sandy daytime effect and uh, there's a scene uh, where he's uh, walking along a roof yeah and the background just looks so bad uh, uh. and the same thing happened in Skyfall when he's riding the motorbike along as it should as it uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's ropey as fuck looking uh, they just give you that big it's, at, it's on the rooftops yes and is it Chinese or Istanbul I think it's but Istanbul but it's, it's just the fact that the setup is all it almost takes you out of it straight away spent all the money on that explosion man you know uh, they did for a good CGA background but, uh, I know you mean about the fight the cinematography is very bad in the film fight scenes not the best one thing I did like there's a couple of fight scenes where they don't have any they don't score it so a train scene uh, that, that's a lift that, that I think was it's a good. Connery fight Connery did a fight in a train on one of the bonds and I think that's not scored either they did compare it to From Russia With Love but it's more uh, what do you call the one with Jaws and the fucking train is that the spy, it's either Spy Love Me or Moonraker it's the first one I Spy I Love I Me I think so because I, I, he's in bo- Roger I think he's in both of them no Jaws yes he is uh, but um, anyway, it's it's the Roger Moore one where uh, he fucking electrocutes jaws and the teeth 
and all this shit and whatever. It's a mixture of both of them because he's wearing yeah. the Connery suit down it. He's wearing the classic Connery white jacket and red uh, thing. That's an Connery one, but I, I just I just find it well flat. I just find myself. I think another major problem <coughs> is it's the least Bond driven film. Like it's, it's a team, it's a team effort. So uh-huh. your dancer just sucks it a bit after that straight away. It, it, you know what? It, it tried to be Mission Impossible four and five. It was very, very similar in lots of ways. Oh, See that? Yeah. It was really like the team they were trying to maybe pull on that a wee bit. But I mean, I definitely enjoyed it more the second time I've seen it when I knew what I was getting myself in for. Because yeah. when I was getting into that, there I was expecting more something in the Skyfall line. But it's it's a completely different film. And if I had went down there expecting the kind of film it was, it's it's good for what it is. But it's just it's just no Skyfall. It's very hard to top Skyfall. Like, okay. Uh, this week I watched Big. Did you watch it on Sunday? Was it last Sunday? Was no, on it was TV? Wednesday. I it was Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Oh, I, <laughs> I know it. It was one. It was just kind of there was nothing really else on TV, and then we ad came up saying Big was on. And I was like, I'm gonna watch Big on. But uh, I know like. Obviously, like everyone's seen it when they're wine, and it's a really kind of childhood nostalgia film. But the the fucked up thing for me watching it is is Matt thinks he's been kidnapped the whole way through the film. <laughs> well, is that and that the woman has sex with a thirteen year old boy? Well, yeah, that's a given. <laughs> no, but I didn't know that. I forgot that that had happened. I I'm so hold on. Hey, fucking fuck up. But the 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 <laughs> thing about that as well, she has no problems with it once she finds out she, he's thirteen. Right, she's all, I still love you, and you're all. That's a bit weird. Yeah. She's all just just <laughs> hit, just hit me up in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm a pedophile. Who cares? Like, you, uh, know I mean? you know what I mean? I'm well, fucked now. Anyway, like, uh, he's, really? he's not really thirteen. Like, he's thirty doing, or whatever. Are we doing cold hard time, Tom Hanks? You rogue. <laughs> <laughs> no, but is is Matt thinks he's been kidnapped the whole way through the film? And does uh, fuck all. And no, but you see like scenes where kind of throughout the fall, like Tom Hanks rings her at one point, pretends to be the kidnapper, <laughs> and she's like freaking out and crying, like "Don't hurt my baby!" And all is here, and and he just says, "There's like, oh, you'll, you'll have him back in a few days. Everything'll be fine." Then there's the scene with Billy, like his best friend. I cold hearted wee bastard with him, I like. <laughs> it's been all. Jesus Christ, I'm as by having a fucking connection next door. Like, don't I? I but everybody just keeps saying, there, oh, everything will be all right. It'll be back in a few days. And it's just like, that's not that's not what you think if your kid's been kidnapped. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't phone the police or anything. I know, exactly. It's like, because <laughs> I, it, the whole way through the film when I was watching it, I kept on thinking of, you know that Mel Gibson film, Ransom? <laughs> it's like, that's the other side of this film. <laughs> Aye. His <laughs> man is just in the house freaking Aye. out. Like. Aye, so see if you see if Kevin McAllister was his man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, It'd be no end it, like. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It'd be all, I fucking, no, fuck five days, give me fucking Wayne back. No way, if Kevin McAllister's ma was his man. That's what I'm saying, I. Or did I say if Kevin McAllister was his man? Aye. Aye. No, you're right, sorry. Home Alone 2 was on the other day as well, obviously, on the on the lead up to Christmas and stuff like that. And see when you actually look at it, right? See if, like, Home Alone and Home Alone 2 took place in the real world. Her wings would certainly be taken off her. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Come on. Like, also, what do you call them? Harry and Marvin? Aye. Harry mm. and Marvin, they would certainly be dead about nine or ten times over. The abuse they take off. No, but I love it, though. I love it for that. Like. It's so good. Like, it's so slapstick. But anyway. Aye. I know that's all I already had to say about Big. Everybody knows it. Everybody loves it. But bit weird <laughs> uh, Gio what did you watch this week Steve Jobs oh Steve Jobs shite, shite. Or just shite. shite don't go say it 
Uh, it's like when people say a new, I- new iPhone I watch I get announced and you like Whittier and it goes down in price just with it, it's on Netflix or with it, it's like they rent or stream wherever you get just why is it so bad? Uh, the setup in theory it should be a good idea like it's three act film it's done before every presentation is done so well, not wh- every presentation well <laughs> it's based on launching the first Apple computer and when he gets fired launches his own thing and it's a fader comes back to launch the iMac like that's the three things so you're going like right this could be interesting and I, I'm a big fan of Iron Sorkin. Yeah. West Wing. So I was like, I'm, I'm up for this. But um, the newsroom, the TV show, their HBO oh, was a bit push. So went down sort of open-minded, especially with Danny Boyle directing. Because for me, he's very hit or miss. And I this think so too. Absolute miss. The, the setup, mm. the structure just doesn't work for this kind of thing. It works for Iron Sorkin's kind of writing, but just doesn't work at all for anything else. I will say one weird thing is, you could see hints of Danny Boyle trying to do something, and I don't know if he's been restricted or what, or something's happened. This is so on iPhone as well. Even, if, even from just seeing the trailers, it, it doesn't look for Danny Boyle, who's known for like a sort of kinetic cinematography and just kineticism in general, and a lot of ideas and visual styles. It just seemed a bit flat. Everything I seen, but how do you make a man stand on stage? Is that interesting? Like, but well, you see, that's what I was going to ask. Is it the kind of thing where you think he's confined by the 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 structure of the script? That the three act structure, because it's essentially a play, he can't really inject his own kind of things in there. Not really. Sham watched out this week based on a play that works out very well for Everybody, a film. Yeah. Has play ideas like some rooms, some sentences are based like play, but yeah. and and I think as well that like, the major strong point I doubt this definitely because uh, obviously John Patrick Shanley, who actually wrote and directed the play, wrote and directed the film, so he was able to adapt it perfectly, but. I don't know what I've I've been hearing kind of mixed bag about Jobs. What about Fassbender? I mean, he's always great. What's he like in it? Okay, okay, because he got a lot of flack, which I thought was ridiculous because he didn't look like Fassbender. He didn't look like Fassbender. <laughs> sorry, he didn't look like Jobs. No, it's not that it's not like Jobs. It just sort of plays a sort of Aaron Sorkin, I'm right, and everyone else is wrong kind of character, like the Jeff Daniels in Newsroom, the yeah. sort of Bradley Buford and West Wing. There's one scene which is very weird, where if you imagine that the entire film sort of takes place behind a stage imagine that so there's always a dressing room there's just one little scene where the whole bit he's going to come out reciting Bob Dylan lyrics as a start of a presentation and when he's talking about the lyrics with Jeff Daniels the lyrics come up on the wall behind him and there's an overhead shot and it comes up on the, the actual stage behind him yeah. and you're going like but they come up so fast you're like what was that and then nothing like ever happens for the rest of the film and you're sort of going like there's a missed opportunity here for some amazing visuals that just don't happen so you think it's just completely underwhelming in general yeah and just I would say it's just it's a, it's a very bad show. Kate Wins at the start as an assistant, and in the second act when they go to the middle eighties, her accent changes completely. I've heard a lot of abuse about her accent. And change. then someone mentions, "Oh yeah, she's Polish," and then I went, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and you sort of go, "Did you sound like that in the first act?" And you're going like, "No." And th- there's a couple of nice things. The first act is filmed in, I think it's sixty millimeter on purpose. Second one's thirty five. Third act's digital, so you can see the image yeah, change. Yeah, I mean, like basically a development of film technology. Yeah. To Things like that, but I would say just it's a it's a massive dud. Okay, avoid at all costs. I still yeah. haven't seen it though. Sort of. I know I'm still definitely going. Yeah, to see I still. I'm, <laughs> st- I'm a Danny. I'm a Danny Boyd fanboy. And as well, I'm a, I'm a mass bender fanboy. Like so I'll be right there. And I like Apple. Um, <laughs> I know I, I needed another fanboy thing. <laughs> <laughs> Seth Rogen, there you go. He'll be hilarious. Like oh films. no, so bad. No. All right, okay. <laughs> Let's move on to news. Uh. Okay, Universal has been trying to make their own live-action adaptation of The Little Mermaid for a while. According to Variety, Chloe Moretz have been, has been given the lead role 
Universal has always wanted Moretz to play the title role. And the director, Sofia Coppola, had to leave the project Shut because, the fuck because of her unwillingness to cast Moretz. Well, I mean, when they say they've always... How, how long have they passed they've wanted Moretz to do it? She's only been fucking the public eye for like five or six years, like. Well, like a couple of years. Yeah, it's not start... always as in fucking ten years. Yeah. I mean, like how but long? When she's thirty, she's still look about twelve. Like uh, I, I kind of zoned out as well because I was taking down about three years. They put a point against us. Like, and I'm not the first part of that news. <laughs> what are we talking about? Sophia Coppola, Little so Mermaid. Don't know. Well, she she's not doing it anymore now. She's ah, she's left. Who else doing it now? Uh, they haven't said yet. But she left it because she didn't want to cast Moritz as. Ah, well, I, I can give a fuck about the Little Mermaid but then at the same time I can't still picture Moretz there I think she was kind of miscast as well I mean she'd she done the remake uh, Carrie about a year and a half yeah. two years ago wasn't great then. not down to her just the film wasn't great I don't think she followed the role uh, again as it, this is this whole spate of Disney now doing well no this isn't Disney this is Universal yeah but is, is this this whole thing now where Disney are selling off their kind of no, this, animations they're being done live is, action Universal is adapting the original story of The Little Mermaid uh, because right, that's so. open source, like free or whatever. So they they can take anything from the original story, but they can't use anything that Disney introduced originally in The Little Mermaid, their cartoon. So you can't have Gannon Chandler? No. Or Sebastian. <laughs> Sebastian's not on it. What's that point, yes? <laughs> what is that point? Um. I think we can draw a veil over that one because nobody really seems to give a fuck about the whole <laughs> movie. Why? Well, I think Chloe, I, I think Chloe Moretz is it would be good as Ariel. Like I think she would fit the oh. kind of thing. For you definitely know a lot more about the Little Mermaid than you. Oh, I know. I, I know her. <laughs> I know her fuck, to believe. I know her fucking name. <laughs> Ariel. Woo. <laughs> All, right. All right. Then let's just move on. Nobody gets fucked. Split the fucking move on. Uh, <laughs> I'm only joking, my no, but uh, like Chloe Moretz is a good actress. I feel. No, she is. Yeah. I think she's a really talented actress, but I say I just I, I can't really get excited about the Little Mermaid. But I'm sure she will make a yeah. fine Ariel. You're just wondering, you know, like who, when who, she's going to pull out the underwater Uzis or something like. Like who, who's <laughs> who's going to play her dad? Like by King Triton. King King who? King Triton. Who played him originally? I don't know. Some boy with a beard. Probably fucking. I know. Very colourful. Chris Hemsworth or something. What did you say? Chris Hemsworth or something. Ed Harris, definitely. Liam oh, Neeson. Fucking Ed, Ed, fucking Ed Harris. I'm interested now. Ed Harris is playing. He sold me now. Let me tell you something. See if we were fucking Ed Harris's agent. Hey, we can have serious roles. We recommend that man for a role right fucking weekly. Jesus Christ. Who was he last week? Can't even fucking mind. Monopoly Man. So he can do the Monopoly Man, then he can fucking juggle that. Then we do King Triton and Long Rivers. Okay, we'll move on since nobody cares. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Doug Lyman is in talks to direct the Gambit film starring Channing Tatum after director Rupert Wyatt had to leave due to scheduling conflicts. See, I really like Doug Lyman. I mean, even from like Swingers and stuff like that, I think he's really versatile. He's got a very, he's got an assuredness about him, and all his films are usually pretty solid and just, just good, generally good films, well made. Yeah. Uh, I like Gambit as a character. You know, he was always kind of one of my favourite X-Men growing up, but I just still can't bring myself to... I, I, I like Channing Tatum, and I like the fact that his career is kind of taking a resurrection away because people wrote him off as being just this big dumb muscle for rom-coms, and he's kind of proved a lot of people wrong. But I just don't... He's not gambling for me, so I, I just can't get excited about that, that picture. Is it, do you think he's too chunky to be gambling? He's I too muscly? He's too, he's too chunky, and, and, and maybe he's... Gambit's supposed to be like 
really serious and about Moody and, and, and I think Taylor Kitsch was fucking perfect Taylor Kitsch was perfect I mean like he was literally yeah. he even looks exactly like Gambit and you know he's a pretty uh, I would say he's, he's a pretty qualified actor like he, he's got it but I mean obviously they're shaking themselves out there John Carter so they're not going to give him another fucking franchise like. well plus the, the one he was in as Gambit was shit <laughs> uh, yeah that's, that's Origins wasn't it uh, yeah, yeah Origins uh, Wolverine is the one Will I Am in it yeah yeah I don't know. I'm hoping that Channing Tatum can prove me wrong, but I just I can't see him in the in that role. Especially <laughs> the cinema goes on. Prove me wrong, Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> Come at me, Channing. Give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Prove me wrong. They end up falling. I've ended up enjoying it. You've done it again, Tatum. <laughs> God damn it! You've done it again. <laughs> me sit by by Costa Pine, my face. Next news, baby. Oh, well, hang on. Do you have anything to add? <laughs> no. I think... Oh. <laughs> Dominic, anything to add? Dominic hasn't spoken over 20 months. <laughs> since it's, we, since just, it's, we need an update. This <laughs> <laughs> is still beating. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the trailer came out for the film Triple Nine, starring Woody Harrelson, Arm Paul, Norman Reedus, Anthony Mackie, mm. Casey Affleck. Ryan Blaze. Go on, keep going, keep going, you can do it. Chijalidja for... No, I commonly get slagged on this podcast for not being able to pronounce names. I'm very proud that I can pronounce that right. I can't I can't get it started. Shiawetal is you for? Shiawetal is you for? Shiawetal is you for? Shiawetal is you for? Do it now, Michael. Oh, that was, a, that, was a, that was a great. That it, it sounds like you're saying, "What did she study leisure for?" <laughs> what did she study leisure for? Did, what did you study leisure for? I don't know. Do you think you imagined that? <laughs> she a what the leisure for? Go on, give it a go. What did she study leisure for? It's not like Cheerdell. It's she a what Cheerdale. Cheerdale. I'm going to go with Cheerdale. Cheerdale, Edgefield. Chill about the bed. No, you're saying a Don Cheerdale, you racist. You're getting them mixed up. It's Don Cheerdale. Ah, shit! Don Cheerdale. Anyway, the trip. See if Don Cheerdale was listening, be like, what the fuck? It sounds like Shazzy in a bad trailer voice. It's like, it's like, Don and it's like Robert Downey Jr. Don Cheadle. <laughs> Don Cheadle, October four. <laughs> it's fourth, you fucking prick. Right. The triple nine trader. What did we think? Looks fucking class. I mean, me and Heron are huge Michael Mann, huge Heat fans, and it's very obviously taking a massive influence off that. Uh, I just like the fact that there's a kind of half decently produced heist film I think it's a genre that's really fallen by the wayside in the past couple of years you don't really you just don't see many heist films in general never mind ones that are actually pretty good yeah the last one I can remember that was pretty good was like a, a wee gem of mine that I really enjoy the town mm. but oh or not I, I can't think of any I mean it's just it's I think it's an untapped genre I think the reason they don't go to heist films that much is because they can be very one note and they can be very samey because it's all just bothering uh. the heist and, and how many different ways can you do a heist but uh, yeah. that the cast in that film looks incredible. I mean, when I first started watching the trailer, and you seen Aaron Paul just off the back of like Rick Kate Winslet as well. Kate Winslet, yeah, she's probably the, she's probably the biggest actor on there. Like, no, you know? but she doesn't look like Kate Winslet. I thought it was January yeah. Jones when I was watching <laughs> it. That's, that's why I said, oh, January Jones, Madman connection. But 
But oh, Kate's looking well. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Mr. Striper. But uh, I, when I was like when I was watching the stuff again, I thought <laughs> <laughs> when I first watched uh, the thriller, I saw Aaron Paul, and I thought right off the back of like the Breaking Bad success, he's the main star. I didn't recognize him in it. And then for a while, there was Aaron Paul and fucking uh, sorry Norman. I seen him first. I was like, Paul's a huge cast on there, and even yeah. like. It was a Melinda trailer, and you're thinking, "Oh, he's going to be the old grizzled psychopath cop who's going to go against these, you know, band of mascots." Woody Harrelson looks perfect on it. I know, he you know looks I mean? ridiculous. Like. That could be the that could be the film that would you call it Road Art? Wouldn't it? Would you call it cop film? He done a few years back. Rampart. Rampart. Road Art. Woody Harrelson is a cop rolling down a window looking art in the eye. Just spray can the freeway. I think I was the the lesser known Banksy biopic. That's a sequel. They actually for the gift shop. Road Art. <laughs> but I no, I, I agree with you too, man. I think I, I mean, it, it it does look really glossy, but it, it looks. Uh, be Michael Mann in the later years have just went went fully digital and and sort of sometimes they not great effect, but um, it looks like old school glossy yeah. Michael Mann, and it looks it, it looks really it looks really well shot. I mean, you you wouldn't attract a cast that good if it's not going to be at least half decent or at least the script's good. Maybe directed they fucking maybe shit, but uh, <laughs> it might sound like a funny null point as well. But I think that all the best heist films, be it like Rafifi or The Town or Heat or even Reservoir Dogs, the main strength of those heist films is usually the characters. It's yeah. mailing the characters and fleshing the characters out because heist films that are bad usually just focus on the heist and the action around that heist. But once you've seen one kind of heist on film, it's very hard to kind of make it exciting again. Uh, it's more so about the characters and you care about them during this heist that you want them to get out unscathed or you want them to get out without being killed or whatever uh, the only thing I worry about with that film is that there's so many characters like I mean even in that trailer there was too many to keep up with yeah. that you know will they be able to balance out all those characters will um, they be able to flesh them all out will you care about all of them I mean well, so just what you were saying as well with the characters being interesting but the actual story sounds pretty interesting as well that the reason it's called Triple Nine is because that's the code for a dead cop. Yeah. So they're going to use that to distract all the cops so they can pull off a heist then. Mm. You know, it's a pretty interesting concept. What if the plot twist is? They're all cops. <laughs> they are all cops. They're oh, all. you seen that in the trailer? No, it's <laughs> no, no, just that name. <laughs> <laughs> they're all deep undercover. Uh, deep, I'd, deep. Oh, Harem was going to say that. Um, I, uh, that. Ah, uh, okay. Is an interesting plot point. No, well, it, it's actually not interesting. It, it's a plot. It's, it's a plot. <laughs> okay, fuck me. <laughs> no, no, but it, it's a plot device. But I'm hoping that it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And in, in the same way that that fucking show was fucking called Flash Forward or something. You're like every time they said flash forwards, oh, this is a line obviously invented just for the purpose of the show, and it's fucking stupid. Now I watch for five minutes, so I'll turn it off. Oh, do you, do you, if they keep going, oh, they're doing a triple nine. <laughs> we got a triple nine. It's just all that was two days ago. They pulled a triple nine. You're all, f- all right. fucking pack it on. Hopefully it's like so, a day half free. Half a city just called nine one one. Half a city just called nine one one. I'm hoping they don't butcher that terribly. Fuck. I up. just say it once and then pass off. Just. Do you I'd, know who the director is? Oh. John Hillcoat. Oh, from oh, fuck the me. proposition? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I'm Did he write it as well? Um, I don't know. I'll check. I'm ultra interested. I, I love the proposition. He's a really fucking accomplished He's a director. fucking cracking uh, director. It was, it was wrote by Matt Cook. Who knows him next? 
<laughs> but uh, the chef done it. <laughs> Everything he's written is in development. <laughs> Jesus. I mean that that just. Maybe, me, maybe that, he's still on the test tube just himself. <laughs> that would settle like a lot of nerves for me too. You're like a lot of anxiety about the fall because he can definitely handle characters. And I mean, even the proposition, which fair enough, isn't that he's fallen. Obviously set new back in like 1800s Australia, but it's very much a very gritty crime film. That's all about characters. And there's not a lot of violence, but when it is there, it, it means so much more. Because Up a face just now. Yeah. I have a fucking... Aboriginal with that fucking head I have done too Up a bit <laughs> Okay We shall move on to <laughs> So Dominic I believe you have our first topic <laughs> Oh Jesus <laughs> Mickey how long do you have on that recorder? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing I can fucking... I can't give you anything. <laughs> okay. Um, Calm here. Do you want to do a topic? You, uh, you, you got a topic? And spray breath on. I watched last week. Excuse me. I might actually have to go and fucking lay down on the fucking bed or some shit as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to go have a lie down chicken? I do. Are you yeah. okay? You sure don't want to stay here? It's really entertaining watching you. <laughs> I stay here for amusement, essentially. Aye. What a good pal. Damn, smoke Dance for me, Dominic. <laughs> Dance for me. We'll stay here or I'll fucking hang off you. I do have a beanbag. I have to, I have to go because I can't fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Let that man go on his merry way. Let are you, are you leaving the household or no no out? no there's no fucking way I'm getting out <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you want to go have a lie down Dominic I do yeah okay okay is, son is, is there music as well <laughs> there's music everywhere Dominic music as well. can't music? you hear it hear is, my song is, uh, is there music in this magical room <laughs> <laughs> and butterflies <laughs> and, uh, mushrooms <laughs> and summer meadows and yogurt <laughs> <laughs> okay let's stop here. life is made up of many gorgeous moments cherish them all big and small with blue nile whether it's for yourself or a loved one blue nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Um, Michael, I, I simply must retire to the bedroom. Because I have uh, I've defiled the podcast by taking thirty plus mushrooms. I am no longer high. I am seeing things. A Jew. 
<laughs> okay, well, we were into topics. Well, not really, because we didn't do a topic, but Heron, I believe you have a topic. I'm uh, just based on a film I watched last week, which I'll reveal in due course. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I know, just thinking about um, simple plot lines or simple genre stories that turn out to be uh, allegory as opposed to just remakes or rehashes of genres. Um, it's almost like a subgenre in itself that uh, a good director and a good scriptwriter takes <clears throat> a simple story that's sort of like typically a well-trodden path, but turns it into allegory. Um, I'm saying this because uh, recently I watched, or last week I watched Deliverance, yeah. and I was the first time seeing it. And I mean, it's a simple enough story about uh, four guys that go into the the woods and go to uh, they try and take a canoeing trip uh, up this this river in America and um or down really this river in America and uh they get met with some interesting characters and they uh <laughs> 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 and uh they basically they're forced to become different versions of themselves if they want to survive. And I, I like this here because as soon as you stop thinking about it just as a baseline plot and think about it as a metaphor, because I mean it was just made just after Vietnam or it was made probably during Vietnam actually and uh it was. I always wondered why it was always compared or you know seen as a sort of a Vietnam film because there's no mention of Vietnam in it. There's a similar thing that happens to it, a similar moment, the 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 moment in the Deer Hunter with Robert De Niro at the end, but it happens at the start. But there's another reason for it, where John Voight can't kill uh, an animal at the start. He has the the bone arrow and stuff, um, but. The, f- the film essentially becomes just uh, an example or an allegory of four men, different types of men, going into a situation which is bigger than themselves. And you know, one's the action guy, one's the sort of straight-laced guy, one's the kind of, I suppose, the the friend of, of the others, which not all of them really like, but he's best friends with the John Voight character, Ned Beatty. And the other is just sort of, he's just kind of, seems like an outgoing guy it's ronnie cox he's just sort of along for the ride and just for the crack and all and um but throughout the course of the film you see these guys put through these these like seriously some really harrowing situations and you see one of the characters in particular become like a uh you see him become a, a warrior you, you see um hand to hand fight with people and having to make a decision on a call to kill somebody when before he never did. I mean it's discussed very briefly at the start of the film, like in condition where you can't kill an animal or you can't you know but this character ends up <coughs> actually making the decision to kill somebody. Mm. And then there's a, a really telling scene at the end of the film where two of the characters sit down at a dinner table. It's a very kind of a uh, very happy very nice warm family kind of dinner table and one of the characters just breaks down just sort of like an inexplicable sort of thing he just breaks down and the other character across the table looks at him for a minute and then he just gets on with it he just starts talking and whatever because this character specifically for reasons which will be revealed if you watch the film he probably more than the rest of them doesn't want to talk about it and gets on with it and then the rest of the table just starts talking and they just get on, nobody asks him what's wrong with you, you know, why are you sad, why are you crying, what's, you know, do you want to talk about it? <clears throat> they just get on with it. And, I mean, w- 
I sort of had this notion about halfway through the film that this makes film makes a lot more sense if you see it as an allegory of Vietnam. Yeah, of but then at the very end, that's what it's like, oh, fuck, we just handled that specific moment so well. People come back. And, you know, this is where, you, this is where situations of post-traumatic stress come up. This is where, you yeah. know, these things, I mean, this oppressed sort of nation and stuff where pe- people can't even comprehend what these guys have been through and whatever. And so they don't kind of want to ask because they're safe. I mean, those guys, you know, we go off the war and all, there's supposed to be if you want to <coughs> go full America they're protecting the freedoms of it or whatever and this kind of thing all oh, is jazz but the people don't want to know that's why they don't go to war that's why they, they stay at home and this kind of stuff and so I just find that scene really fucking telling for and it just fit the whole allegory perfectly yeah I, I think you're exactly right I think it's a thing especially in that scene of just like ignored grief I mean like there's this sort of American ideology that the GIs who went over and fought in Vietnam were mm. men's men and then when they came back you know it was kind of uh, uncomfortable they actually think that these men were damaged in some sort of way you know you, they were kind of looked at as this template of manliness and then they see them cracked or coming back with PTSD or huge trauma from that crazy fucked mm. up shit that they've seen it's like oh we, we should just completely and utterly ignore that you know what I mean and, and just brush that under yeah. the carpet because that would then tarnish our image of not only what we've done in Vietnam but what us as a nation is you know what yeah. I mean if these men are coming back so fucked up was it really worth it and of course yeah. you know America lost Vietnam that is you know what they, they claim that they didn't but America did lose Vietnam and that's you know one of the great shames in their in their, mm. in their history and I know obviously America's a there are a lot of people unfortunately a, a, a country that kind of prides itself on its on its military aspect yeah. and prides itself on its kind of force of being like <coughs> a moral police in a sort of way not to get too political about it but uh, during that time period like in the late 60s and, and early 70s there was a huge amount of allegories of the Vietnam War Aye. you know I, th- I think that at the time because of the way the government was it was for the majority anyway maybe not seen as correct they kind of go against Vietnam so you had to do it in a kind of more subtle underhanded way and a, an yeah. or film which is kind of really surprising is that the well bunch Sam Peckinpah yeah. it's a complete yeah. allegory of the Vietnam War uh. essentially you see a lot of these characters who are roaming about the well west and just murdering people for fun and that was supposed to represent obviously the violence that American uh. GIs and obviously the Viet Cong were doing towards each uh. other sort of unnecessarily and the whole thing about the well bunch is main band of like kind of rogues is that they're doing this essentially for no reason once they're for no gain they're just generally bad people and it was kind of trying to accentuate that thought of Aye. you know evil and, 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 and what is the point of warfare Aye. in a way and I thought it was even more stinging in the well bunch because it was the western genre and the western genre obviously is you know one of a America's favourite genres and it kind of showed America, the idealistic America, like the American dream and going and find your stuff, you know, find your find your way out in the American plains and, you know, that this old sort of representation of what man was and then for Peckinpah to turn that in its head and kind of infuse it with this sort of negative aspect of America was, was really mm-hmm. powerful. I mean, one, one of my favourite ones, uh, and it's more modern, but um, was with Shawshank Redemption, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a bit later in the 70s and stuff too, but I mean, in lots of ways, like, uh, you had uh, Norton, who was pretty much seen as, as a president. Do you know what I mean? That, that's, what he, that's what he represents in that. He represents, represents a corrupt president, mm-hmm. more specifically probably like Nixon or something like yeah. that there. But it's the fact that the people around him, the, 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 I mean, the whole meaning behind that is that the people 
you know, the people, all the people beneath them, when they all pack together, they're far more powerful than one man or one, you know, all-seeing sort of power and stuff. And I think pe- people say, oh, Shawshank is an easy watch, it's a present film and not there, but there, there's definitely fucking a lot more in Shawshank than what, yeah. what people... I think as well yeah. we just we are topic and and allegories and film. I think it makes a point or a theme so much more powerful because say you really watch a film about Watergate like all the presidents men or say you really watch like maybe the Green Berets which fair enough is probably the only pro Vietnam film ever made. But if you're actually looking at that situation in that world, it affects you because you're just seeing it right in front of you. But then if you have another story from a different perspective where it's just kind of underhandedly selling you that message, but you don't realise it until maybe a couple of, you know, an hour run, maybe like 40 or 50 minutes in, then I think it's all the more powerful because you're seeing these characters, but then you can allude at the end, the stuff that maybe was in the news at the time or, or you know, these great tragedies like, you know, the Vietnam War, like we were saying last week, District 9, uh, it's a complete allegory of apartheid in South Africa and a complete... Mm. Uh, <coughs> Yeah. Al- it's a complete allegory of trying, you know, the, the white devil, as they were called in South Africa at the time, the, the white man trying to kind of cast off the black man and, and prejudice him and just, you know, unbelievably institutionalized, corrupt racism, essentially. I think then that, like we were saying last week, District 9, why it was kind of a wee bit more disappointing is that it starts off with these great themes and then it goes from a deconstruction to a reconstruction and just becomes a, a very much conveyor belt action film. But in, in the first half, and that's why I think the first half's, you know, excellent compared to the underwhelming second half is, is because of those messages they try to get on there but we with Elysium then Neil Blomkamp's second one he, he kind of got criticised that that had the exact same themes on it then like you have this the poor people living on earth and then you have the upper class living in Elysium yeah. and they have all the healthcare and all the money and they're just shit out of luck. I don't think they were necessarily criticising the theme though I think they were just criticising them as a director for being maybe a wee bit one note or maybe going over yeah. the same ground again you know what I mean I don't I think d- you can ever criticise somebody for trying to I like d- an allegory yeah. about you know, anti-racism like you know, you're not going to do that it's, it's I know it, it, it was more that it was very similar even just the kind of plot by plot points of yeah. District 9 Daily Zoom they're very similar yeah the fact too that it was possibly just two on the nose in District 9 it's sort of it builds around those themes and then mm. it becomes clear sort of towards the middle of the end whereas the Lysium is just out the gate it's just it's right there so yeah. it can't even sort of announce itself as an allegory it's just it's just so blatant yeah i think as well like the, the beauty of district nine or at least the start of district nine as an allegory or just any film that you know kind of subtly presents its allegory quite well is that usually you can enjoy it as its own standalone film and you can enjoy it as the narrative that you're watching but then there's, because they're usually very well-written films, there's this undercurrent then, like a socio-political message that really strikes you yeah. if you're in the know of what they're trying to get at. And I think that if you watch District 9 for the first time and seen that and were kind of aware of apartheid and what happened on South Africa maybe around the 60s and 70s and, you know, the likes of Mandela income and the power and maybe end apartheid, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all the more powerful. It had she far more, I would say. But at the same time, you can just endure it as a sort of typical sci-fi action film too. Yeah. Allegory is one thing. I think Deliverance is definitely allegory. But for example, like Star Wars, uh, I think I've talked about this before. That's an uh, it's an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, which is the same yeah. book that they adapted in the Apocalypse Now. Yeah. It's just an uh, it's just an adaptation. So th- there is a difference there. But it's it's, it's a it's a very hard thing to think of. I probably should have researched this a wee bit better. But definitely met these films before, like and seen them. That you kind of go on this story is a wee bit too simple. 
it's it's very well crafted story. It's a wee bit too simple, and you sort of sort of thinking right, what's this actually really about? You know what I mean? And and Deliverance is a perfect example out there. You know, it's like, why is Nicholas beautiful film, great acting, and you just have to think. You know, there's very novelistic texture to it, and you're all, what is this actually about? I think as well, like a very interesting one for me, and it's it's just sort of popped into my head is the Searchers by John Ford, and I think this is even more interesting because a lot of academics or critics have argued that the allegory behind the Searchers is actually about the death of the West, and not so much the death of the West, but mm-hmm. the death of the Western film in general. Because that was released in nineteen fifty six, the Westerns had just flooded cinemas through the thirties and forties and the early part of the fifties, and they were finally starting to lose their appeal. This sort of notion of the idyllic, you know cowboy battling against the Indians first of all people started to realise it's about quasi racist and second of all people don't really have that mindset anymore it's kind of like I was talking about before we we the crime films of the 30s and then going to fall in the war there was a more cynical attitude in America around like the kind of late 50s and you had like uh, the beat culture coming in and, and mm. that, that sort of counterculture that sort of movement and the westerners didn't really seem relevant anymore and I think it's just crazy to see John Ford who's probably the most famous western director of all time John Wayne who's definitely the most famous western actor of all time and they made this film that served as probably one of the greatest westerns ever made but it was also about that genre dying you know mm. what i mean and yeah. that sort of lifestyle back in yeah. maybe like the late 1800s dying it's a funny thing actually john ford said about john wayne he says i didn't know we could act until the searchers <laughs> <laughs> at that point they'd made so many films together <laughs> bad. but even like very quickly about the searchers now is an allegory just for like the kind of death of the west but I, I do think as well that it's one of the first westerns they ever actually look at racism and how nasty racism was because the early westerns and a lot of ones that john wayne was in a lot of ones that john ford directed are massively racist that you know against mm. not only uh native americans but you know african-american characters who i mean fair enough at that time period they would have been near enough slaves or, or freed men but at the well, same i guess time, chinese too and stuff too, uh, of yeah. course just against any yeah. culture because it's more a focus on you american the manifest destiny you know what i mean uh, you kind of go and, and grab your land and it's uh, all about the american dream and stuff like that so i think that it's interesting that john wayne's character ethan edwards in that film is so unabashedly racist but it's not doing it for the audience's satisfaction. It's doing it in the known way that this is wrong, has attitudes mm. wrong towards Indians. And that was the change in, I think, landscape in America at the time that definitely bled into that film. So, I mean, I think the searchers are really interesting uh, in many ways, not only for allegory. I think the kind of the final note, though, like of the West, uh, of, of the Western, I think, not the final note because we're still making Westerns, but the one that was probably the most crystal clear and it wasn't a straight story was probably once upon a time in the West, though. Yeah. You ever seen that, Mick? No. As a cracker, hey? and uh, it's 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 very clear. I mean, that there's there's Charles Bronson's character called Harmonica because he always plays a harmonica, and uh, he's <laughs> he's like the ser- play the banjo again. Uh, he's like he's like the stranger. He's like the Clint Eastwood character. He's a character yeah. you don't really know much about. And then there's Jason Roberts, who's uh, called Cheyenne in it. And he's the, always plays the Cheyenne. He's, <laughs> <laughs> he's got great Etna Cheyenne. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's he's old he's old West, like he's an old sort of you know, he he what would you say? He forged those you know, he sort of uh, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a self made man, he's, but he's an old he's frontier man, basically. An old frontier man, I and the same with uh, Henry Fonda's character. Mm. But he just happens to be evil. But he Henry Fonda's character is a character who was pretty much like Jason Roberts' character, Cheyenne. Uh, he's called Frank, 
He's just has a normal name. <laughs> really, <in it. laughs> really underwhelming name after that. No, no, but I think that's what makes it though. Is, I think he's is, by called Triangle or something like that. Do you know another musical instrument? It's very straight to the point. Was <laughs> our was our Frank? <laughs> but, uh, Always had deep. <laughs> but uh, he so there's there's Frank then, but he he used to be like Jason Roberts' character who was old west, but he's he's developing his ways and they the sort of you know the industrial revolution and all, and then the last character then is. I fucking always forget this guy's name, but yeah, he, uh, he he's a guy who's um he, he's crippled and he has uh, uh like two crutches and stuff to, to keep himself going and stuff and uh like it's sort of a metaphor of of, of like crippling wealth. Do you know what I mean? He, he's yeah. and that's sort of how bad money corrupts and stuff. And the the two walking sticks actually sort of create a trail, but he's. Uh, he's like a train baron as well so it's sort of a metaphor anywhere he walks he creates this trail the way oh, the trains okay. do and this kind of stuff but there's there's a scene in that at the very very end there's one of the characters one of the old west characters who dies and uh <coughs> it's just honestly as soon as the guy uh says his last word you hear the you hear the hoot of a train you know, like it's a it's a fucking fantastic shot. Mm. The shot's down with this guy, and he, the boy delivers his last line. He's one of the old west guys. You hear the hoot of a train, and then the camera rises. They see the train, so it's just it's signaling the future yeah. and this kind of thing. And it, it's it's such a great film for that. They show way deep west, the future, but also within film as well because they they refer to a lot in film. You know, it's a very in ways was a sort of a fanboy but he reinvented it by being a fanboy too and I think that's why Tarantino likes him so much and yeah, stuff too definitely and I mean like we're saying with Search as well it's one of the most famous ending scenes ever in cinema I mean it's Ethan Edwards John Wayne standing framed in the doorway and you see the family home but he can't go in the family home and have his own life he's just looking out on the planes and he's kind of destined to wander mm. alone forever in these planes and mm. it's kind of like a really Usually westerns would have you know like a gunslinger getting a girl and fucking you know mm. shooting the, the you know the bad cowboy or, you know killing a couple of Indians or something like that, but it's a very negative downbeat ending for the searchers and it leaves a kind of bad taste in the mouth. It's like mm. the west or the western genre has died, and this is a more realistic look at what actually happened to these cowboys. They just kind of wandered looking for riches or looking for gold. They didn't get any sort of triumphant, you know, end of their life. Mm. Do something to yeah, say? can I just add like a quick point? The always mentioned they're based in things like westerns and mm-hmm. action films, mm-hmm. or any sort of thing. I think a Kraken sort of more. I was trying to think of a more modern example of one, and the best thing I think is the Grey. Yeah, uh-huh. just because, just for grief. Because yeah. I, th- I can't remember if it was the first or second film that came out just after Amy Neeson's wife died. Yeah, but yeah. I just remember watching that with somebody, and then we walked out, and they were like, "That was alright And I just was like, "Almost." I was like, just wrecked. I was yeah, like, so. "That's about his wife." Mm. Like he t- he obviously took that on just based on that one thing. Yeah. As a massive allegory for grief. I just think that's a cracking modern example of that theme you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. they bring it. They bring it back, and I totally agree as well because I'm nearly sure it was the first film they done after uh, his wife, his Miranda Hutchinson, or, or something like that, that she she passed away. And I don't even know that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, th- I think obviously that's allegorical, yes. But at the same time, it's an actor taking his own personal circumstances and, and letting them bleed, and, and making a film that would have usually uh. just been a kind of standard thriller, <laughs> and they saw him bigger. It just raises <laughs> it so whether much. the director knew it or not, <laughs> it was an allegory for Liam Neeson. The, the worst thing great. is, I went to see it in one cinema, and I was working in a cinema at the other time. So when I was mm. working in a cinema, when you clean the screen when the credits come up, uh. it was about a week after the fact, and there's a scene after the credits in that film. And I just 
turn right. Like you, know, I wasn't expecting that because I'm used to like used to be clean. The What's the th- scene? I didn't know. Uh, okay, it's so spoilers. So uh, you know no, that. No, 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 don't tell me. Right, so you know the way the gray ends, and it's basically Liam Neeson's but they find yeah, a wolf. Yeah, yeah. Credit roll gets to the very end, comes back up, and all he hears, <sighs> and the camera cuts right back in, and all you see is the wolf lying down, bloodied, and Liam Neeson lying right beside it, bloodied, and you're like, these guys are dying together, yeah. and it just cuts. You can just go. Yeah. We good? Are we, no, we good? good? Yeah, okay. you can come back and then, don't worry. <laughs> earmuffs. <laughs> I literally had a hand earmuffs. It's probably the only time when, like, an after credits where I've seen it in any kind of film has a more yeah. shocking I'd, sort of I'd say, I'd say that was the ending, and they made him cut it, but they said, all right, now we'll give you it to an after credit. Yeah. Because that should have been the ending. But I would, decor- I would definitely recommend it as like a modern kind of allegory because we're talking about very great, old um, things, but I, 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 I do mean. think it's actually a really underrated film uh, as see, well. I, I think it's one of these things where when you read this, we, we read sometimes, you read the scan of a film and it's like, all right, bada bada ba, something happens, you know, like plane crashes, these boys have to fight these wolves, will they make it, will they not? You look at the spine and you're all, fuck that. <laughs> you know, most of the time you'd be like, fuck that there. But if you know that's the way the story is going to be told, then I think it just it really opens the book and they talk about some really interesting things. Dep- it always depends on the director. Do you know he's really good? William Friedkin's probably yeah. one of the best at it. Like he's fu- he's absolutely fucking unreal. Like I think in regards to allegorical films, they're always going to be prescient. They're always going to have some sort of message because usually they're commenting on a bad point in the history. It's very rare to get an yeah, allegory that's yeah. commenting on a good point in the history. And you know, like the old saying goes, history always repeats itself. So those films will have added power when something like that happens again uh, and they will stay relevant and as well it just adds another layer and uh, just an, another sense of enjoyment they watch it like knowing that this was a hidden me- yeah, not yeah, even a hidden yeah. message but a well constructed message that yeah. is lying just somewhere underneath the actual main narrative obviously we're talking about all these highbrow films and stuff like that but just to tie this up going for something a bit more slacky Halloween 3 and John Carpenter came out and said this knock <laughs> that off your bingo card is an indictment of capitalism and it was supposed to be an allegory for capitalism. That's what I said. Bam. I was going to mention the start. Indictment or indictment? I'll say ind- is it indictment. It's indictment. indictment. I'll say it again then. No, 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 it's fine. No, but Do I use the wrong word. That doesn't make sense. I was going to say or no, podcast. I watched. Indictments. A I criticism of. I don't know. I know what indictment is. I don't know indictment what indictment means you're being criticised or something. What's indictment? I think you it's made it up. It's the same spell, it's just indictment. You're just saying it wrong. No, but there is a word indictment. Indicative? Indicative. Indicative, I Yes. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Gio, I believe you have something for us. Yes, I do. <laughs> My topic isn't actually a topic at all, it's a pile of games. Oh! Geo's game show extravaganza. Geo's yes. Games. We all love movie games. We all play movie games. Why not play together? <laughs> Is there a theme tune? <laughs> a fine sentiment. Oh, yes. Give me a second. Sorry. <laughs> I think forgot. Sentiment. Okay, here we go. You have too much free time, you? Your move, Ryan McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> you might be being ousted, son. <laughs> so we have three games. Each have about five, six questions. The way the games will work is you're playing against each other, the three of you. Basically, for every question, whoever gets it right or close to it right gets a point. 
Whoever's the most points at the end wins. Are they drinking games? Not interested. It can be if you want. We we, we <laughs> can make we can make it yeah. a drinking game. Essentially, <laughs> you can drink while you're playing here. Yes, <laughs> that makes sense. Major bottle is left, but if we had a drinking game, probably be here in topic two in the morning. Right, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So cool. I'm okay, baby. You understand the rules, yes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, the first game we'll play is called Richest Conversation: Increase Films. Okay. What? What? It's an alternative so it's title it's for the last couple movies. Ah. At your bargain bin version of last couple movies. At your version. <laughs> I really, really, I threw over my head the first time you said that. I really didn't catch on what you're wrong with. Yes. Can I continue? So basically, just so we get this right, and we all know. Stock games. All the trivia is taken from our Wikipedia or IMDb, so if it's not entirely correct, listener, please do not message in saying we're wrong I just this is where I got my source of information we're never wrong two, two sources of information that are based on just people typing it in exactly. <laughs> so in this first game I've got the or, like. supposed original titles of films okay. and you said to try and guess I will give you a list of possibilities and you'll try and guess what the title is okay okay good cool. so our first original film title is Night Skies Vanilla Sky? No, Night Skies, okay? just so you know, No, he's, no, he's, that was my answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's going to give you options. I'm going to give you ah, options. Ah, right, okay. So oh, it's multiple choice. Yes. My favourite. All the games are multiple oh, choice. No, 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 right. So, this is the real answer isn't in the choices. No, the real answer isn't the choices. Yes. Okay, not, okay, okay, okay. I'm giving you game. the original title of the movie. And the choices. From the screenplay or whatever. And okay, that's fine. Somewhere choices. So, your first one is Night Skies. And the choices are... Contact, E.T., Apollo 13, or The Mist. That's Contact, E.T., Apollo 13, and The Mist. And the original title was called Night Skies. I'm going to say Contact. It was E.T. Um, uh, just for variety, I'll go for The Mist. The correct answer was E.T. Oh! Oh! I knew this one because I read a thing about like uh, like Steven Spielberg films was that could have happened. No, like they're ori- <laughs> No, like originally, like E.T. started off as like an like a kind of alien abduction film. Or oh, something. maybe like, no, you know the answer. You got it right. <laughs> but a backstory. You know? Don't do that point. Let's <laughs> <one>. <laughs> <laughs> Title number two. The title is Wise Guy. And your options are Goodfellas, Scarface, The Departed, or Fletch. Goodfellas. 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 You're all right in that one. Yes. That was very quick indeed, yes. You sure it's not wise guys? Yeah. Oh. That's why I was thinking as well. My, my, do you one job, like. That's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> no alien, no, I think it's, <laughs> I well. Title number three. It's called $3,000. Okay. Okay. Three thousand dollars. That's a. You must have some size that first time. dollars. And your options are: Risky Business, Midnight Cowboy, or Pretty Woman. So Risky Business, Pretty Woman, Midnight Cowboy, Pretty Woman, and the original title was called Three Thousand Dollars. Call much answer. Pretty Woman. I would say Pretty Woman. I'll well. go Pretty Woman too. You're all right. Congratulations. Yes. Wait. Wait. Are, 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 are we copying each I'm other? Not, I'm not going to lie, but Heron's trying to pretty confident, so I went with that. <laughs> no, because that's that's what he pays her, isn't it? No, but that was a that was a that was a I didn't know the answer. That was a, a cheat. If I was wrong, domino effect the fuck out of So watch <laughs> out for that. See if I'm winning, and I can take a hat and I, I deliver it that confident. 
Just watch out for it, like. But you, you won't get a point there, so <laughs> it'll just stay the same. Yeah, but I have that many points in my fucking world. Just watch it out, watch it out. See, I'm my three ahead. Just watch out for that delivery. <laughs> Calling our bluff, hey. Title number four is when I grew up. Oh. When I grew up, I what did you want to? What did you want to be when you grew up, too? Certainly not sitting here, anyway. No. <laughs> what did you want to be, Shan? I want to be a vet, and that really went downhill. I wanted to be uh, a comedian. <laughs> fucking hell! <laughs> I really, really went downhill. So he'll be all the calm there, very solemnly, like what did you Calm. This is exactly where Calm wants to be. <laughs> He's loving his dream right now. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor, or I wanted to design cures. <laughs> I'm laughing at the actor part. And <laughs> 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 I am a comedian. <laughs> so, title number four. When mm. I grow up, and oh, your options are 13 going on 30, 17 again, Freaky Friday, or Big? Big. Ah, uh, when I grow up. Oh, when I grow up, and the options are 13 going on 30, 17 again, Freaky Friday, or Big? Are we talking original Freaky Friday or Lohan? Lohan Freaky Friday. Friday. Doesn't matter. Yes, it of course it matters. I'm gonna say I'm actually gonna say Freaky Friday. Can I have the options again? The movie When I Grow Up, Thirteen Going on Thirty, Seventeen Again, Freaky Friday or Big. I'll Silence. go Thirteen Going on Thirty just oh, to mix it up. A split vote. The correct answer is big. Oh, bastard! Um, I'm last already <laughs> after four fucking questions. And our last title in the first quiz. Give me a good and roll me some dice. It's called <laughs> Starbeast. <laughs> Starbeast. Star yes. That's a scrub we wrote, wasn't it? <laughs> and your options are E.T. <laughs> <laughs> Alien. The Babadook. Or Predator. So the movie is Starbeast. I'd say the options are E.T. Alien. The Babadook. Or Predator. I'm going to say Alien. I'd say Predator. I'm going to say Predator. 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 Alien. The correct answer is alien. Yeah! <laughs> it's all drawn up. It's all so tied, baby. At the end Star of the first round, so bad. Uh, Shan, you're on three points. Mick, you're on three points, and Calm, you're on three points. So you're all tied. Also play for. No, but, but wait, wait. It's we're a game of two hours now. But we're <laughs> we're glossing over this star beast for alien. That's terrible. Horrendous. Like really must have had a fucking heart attack when I seen that coming in. Yeah, you might say shit, but fucking original Predator Beast team. <laughs> Absolutely. Had a big fucking big nose hanging down there about his waist. It used to when he when he was running, it used to flap like that there. It was fucking shit looking. <laughs> James Cameron actually James Cameron designed the mouth. He came up with the idea for the mouth and all. What is James Cameron? Moon Beast. Geo, continue. <laughs> Our second game. <laughs> Our second game is called That Didn't Happen. Oh, I've said that a few times. Basically, <laughs> describe. Hang on, hang on. Can I ask a question? Yes, what, go ahead. what was the relevance of the title for the first game? Reduced conversation. Yeah, how these films? How does how does that relate to different film titles? Because reduced conversation increased films is an alternative title for less talk more movies. Jesus. Yeah. Oh. Mikey must have been in a life at a party. No, but th how does that relate to alternative film names? Because he's uh, alternatively naming your podcast. Ah. Let's, let's not stop them about the him, Ricky. Let's keep going. Not, not, not the no. sharpest knife in the box, this one, hey? <laughs> 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 oh, 
that. All, all, I, all I need is a butter knife. Like you look genuinely hurt by that. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry, Michael. Oh, my friend, please don't kick me off your podcast. <laughs> it only hurts because I know it's true. Oh, <laughs> Continue on with oh, the games. This is getting deep. The second round is called That Didn't Happen. Bam. It, it just did, you. <laughs> you can't tell I'm me it didn't. give you a plot point or something that happens in a film. And I'm going to name you films. And on one of the films, this did not happen. <laughs> okay. Okay. When I explain it, it'll make much more sense. No, so, I, I, like no, I get game. it. I get it. Though. Our first one For all adults here. is <laughs> there is a prison on a boat. It's a prison on a boat? Yeah. A prison is on a boat. Okay. And your three films this may or may not have happened in are Escape Plan, Face Off, and G.I. Joe. So I was thinking The Dark Knight. But anyway, continue. No, the prison that's a tran- that's a tran- is on a boat. Right. So the prison is on a boat. You know your In one of these films, this it, did not it happen. It didn't happen. Yeah. Okay. So this didn't happen. So face a prison on a boat. Yeah. It didn't happen. In escape plan, face off, or GI Joe. Face off. It's face you're off. saying face off. You're saying face off. Yeah. You're, you're all right. Yes. That, all was, that was just a magnet planet. <laughs> <laughs> no. One could be confused because it's an oil rig, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. You see, because I, I wanted to uh, define what is a boat before this, <laughs> this question. An oil rig is not a boat, Michael. <laughs> My main dream is they actually use the fist-off machine in real life. I think that'd be incredible. What are you calling uh, you need it like? Robert Shaw name and Jaws. Quant. Quant, I. That oil rig's not a vessel, man. <laughs> 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 I look not a vessel. I seen one in a rocking chair once. Yeah, I seen an oil rig. Yeah, seen an oil rig in a rocking chair. Seen an oil rig in a rocking. Joe, continue with your lovely games. Plot point number two: a bomb does not go off at the start of the movie. A bomb does not go off at the start of the movie, and your options are speed, X Files, or source code. Bomb doesn't go off the start X of the movie. Files. Yeah, the bomb does not go off the start of the movie. Aye, X Files. Source code definitely does. I can't remember. Just speed does it go off like in a flash. A bomb does not go off. Yes. X Files. Hmm. Call him your guess. I said X Files. Michael, your guess. I'm 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 going to roll the dice on this one because I can't quite remember. I'm going to say speed. Speed, Shan. He said X-Files. <laughs> the correct answer is speed. Yeah! Wait, Albert. The fucking boss The first bomb you see. No. The oh, first bomb you see. The first bomb you see. And uh, save it. Uh, Fuck. Very, very good, you. Well played. <laughs> well played. Touche, sir. Well played, page master. I, I, could, I, I, I couldn't mind if, if like a wee kind of small explosion goes off. That, that That's what makes it fall down or whatever. Uh, they, they, the they, fact that they it diffuses the bomb, well. kicks off the entire plot of the film. Yeah. Right, so Michael's in the lead. Uh, yeah, the whims of a madman. <laughs> Shan and Colin before each. Plot point number three. And this didn't happen. A monkey slaps a human. Oh, God. So, any which way but I'd be surprised <laughs> if you didn't get three examples of this. Oh, I had a lot of that. I had a lot of that. Oh, seat. boy, I got five. <laughs> oh, I don't my so research. A monkey <laughs> slaps a human. And your options are The Hangover, Night at the Museum, or Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's the first one of each of those three films. The Hangover. So a monkey slaps a human. Which film did this not happen? The Hangover, Night at the Museum, Pirates of the Caribbean. Call me your answer. Pirates of the Caribbean. Nah, I'm going Michael, your answer. The Hangover. Hangover. The actual answer is Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes! Oh. It's all level again. You're all tied again, guys. 
So but, yeah. but Gio, that's a very unfair question because there's monkeys in all them phones. That's how you get you as well. I think it's a thing. I think there's it's the same monkey. all phones. <laughs> <laughs> They're called people. <laughs> Somebody will think we've scripted the tension. Five each. <laughs> Five apiece. It is quite She's written up, isn't I've shaped myself up a theory. Plot point number four. A person is a sacrifice slash the MacGuffin of the film. Okay. Okay? Yeah. So a person is yes. a sacrifice slash the MacGuffin of the film. And your options are Men in Black 2, Man of Steel, or The Dark Knight. Is this the arrow? They aren't. They are, uh, the person is a sacrifice slash MacGuffin for the film. Men in Black 2, Man of Steel, or The Dark Knight. Man of Steel. I think Man of Steel. Okay. Call me answer. Immediately. Hold on. So they're, they have to be MacGuffins and sacrifices. They are the sla- sacrifice slash MacGuffin of the movie. What was the last one again? Your options are Men in Black 2, Man of Steel, and The Dark Knight. Yeah, it's Dark Knight. Yeah, Dark Knight. The answer is Man of Steel. Yeah! How the fuck is it? How is Men it? Men in Black 2, Rosario Dawson is the MacGuffin, and yeah. The Dark Knight. Yeah, it's Maggie ba- Gillen or sorry, Katie Holmes. No, you're wrong. Batman's the MacGuffin. He's a sacrifice at the end. Ah, oh, And a Man of Steel, the only person who actually sacrifices but isn't the MacGuffin is Kevin Costner. I bet Batman's not a MacGuffin. Or Harvey Dent is. There's multiple MacGuffins in that film. Wait a minute. Nah. No. Nah, this question don't make no, no goddamn the, sense, No, the, the, the MacGuffin in oh, Man of Steel oh. is, is that we fucking... One moment, can we announce this? We have a visitor who started the podcast who has never returned. We have a star- it's only Dominic failing. Hey, he's back. man sitting <laughs> on a seat. <laughs> He'd like to come and join us. <laughs> but he cannot feel his face. <laughs> he cannot feel his feet. <laughs> now, Dominic, not to be rude, but you cannot join this game because it's fucking unbelievably tense. But you can sit in this and have a laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I yes. guess this question but is uh, but in Man of Steel, the heresy. But in Man of Steel, the MacGuffin is the wee thing that holds all the DNA. Oh, Jesus, so oh. it's not a person? No, wait. So does Shan Coyle. Text a leader's all this a bit. Yeah. Geo. No, sorry, that, I'm, I'm not going to finish. Shan got the point. No, there. Geo, He's got listen to me. The wee, the wee thing that holds all the <laughs> DNA of all the crypt- Kryptonians, and that's inside Superman. So he's the MacGuffin. And then at the end, he sacrifices his humanity to stop Zod. Pretty thin, Riggs. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can't get the point. <laughs> you, no. What, is this fucking shooting stars or something? It is. Uh, <laughs> all right. Oh, Bravo. Right. <laughs> welcome back to what Geo has wrote down. <laughs> he did give an disclaimer to start about Wikipedia. Like. Uh, Bullshit. Mm, I, I, point. I, I think we should just get rid of this question and we're back to what it was before. No, no, no. No. We're in the confines of Geo's reality. So. Alright, okay, that's Thanks. right. <laughs> Next poll point. A character gets squashed, literally. Okay? A so, character so figuratively? Gets squashed, I think. Your options are Who Framed Roger Rabbit? The Mask? Fantastic Four? The Naked Gun? Oh, Jesus. Fantastic Four. I'd say the Fantastic Four because I know for a fact that the red herring on there is naked gun, but I know for a fact that somebody gets squashed and they get gun like it's OJ Simpson, I think. Well what was the options again? Who framed Roger Rabbit, the mask, Fantastic Four and the Naked Gun? 
Yeah, I'm going to have to go Fantastic Four as well. It's the only trick question in the entire game. Yeah, it happens in all four oh! films. Because I was thinking Mr. Fantastic had he get squashed as yeah, well. Yeah, right? he's very uh, rubbery. Very squashable. Just happened to be that it was the only film all three of us hadn't seen. <laughs> Is that true? No, I haven't seen I've, the new Fantastic. You've seen it? Oh, right, I haven't okay. seen no, the Oh, wait, one. was that the new one or the, or the, the, the one first one? Years ago, oh, like the one years ago. Aye, the Tim the story, story one or whatever. And our final plot point in this round. A character cheats on their spouse. Okay, okay. a character cheats on their spice. And your options are Knocked Up, The Dilemma, 24-Hour Party People, and The Wolf of Wall Street. So one of these films, that didn't happen. Knocked, knocked up. up. Yeah, Knocked Up. <laughs> knocked up Me and Mickey, have, we went through a period, we watched Knocked Up about 16 times in the space of about four weeks. So it's definitely Knocked Up. The number of times ITV2 showed it. <laughs> That's uh, before ITV2. You also Knocked Up. That's all the correct answer, yes? Yes. Mm. Because, of course, what happens in Knocked Up when the characters are supposed to be cheating? He's not. Oh, he's playing, he's uh, fantasy something baseball. Yes, yes. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say he's on mushrooms, much like our dear Dominic. So I've just heard Dominic laughing at himself in the toilet there. <laughs> yeah, I know he's defecating the fuck out of it. Like. So yeah, at the end of the second round, the score is Shan has seven. Ugh. And Mike and Combo have six. Tough that tap, boys. Mm. Tough that tap. Now, our final game is called Also Considered. Okay. And this is basically, I'm going to give you a film and a character and examples of people who were considered for the role. Hmm. And you have to guess which one was actually considered for the role. Yep. Does that make sense to you? Yes. yes. Okay. So, it's a movie, a character in the movie, and I'm going to list three or four actors, but only one of those actors was actually considered for the role. Okay, okay. I got this. Yeah. So, in our first example, The Matrix, Neo, mm-hmm. your options are Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, or Nicolas Cage. And we're naming the one that wasn't? No, we're naming the one who was actually considered for the role, but didn't get it. The artist I've just made up. I'll say Damon. You say Matt Damon, Sean. They play Neo in the Matrix. Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, or Nicolas Cage. I'm going for Brad Pitt. I'll say Brad Pitt, but I'm saying Brad Pitt. You're all wrong. The actual answer was Nicolas oh Cage. Oh my for the role god! Of That's so bad. Let's move on. I want to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody got it right there. The next movie, Inception, the role of Mal. He is the, wife, the dead wife. The dead wife. Oh, the dead wife. Okay. The dead wife. And your options are Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. Kate Winslet. Or Jessica Alba? I'll say Anne Hathaway, based solely on The Dark Knight Rises, and it seems like Ewan they work where. Yeah, I'll take that, actually. Go for it. Well, Dark Knight Rises, too. Oh, I should. Yeah, what, just what, what, for I, fuck's what sake. the fuck am I on? <laughs> I don't know, no, it seems... Mm, I, I do you, you fucking sloppy bastard, what do you call it? Your options are Anne Hathaway, Jessica Alba, and Kate Winslet. I'll 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 no. say I'll no. I'll, I'll go for Kate Winslet. No, I was just about to say Kate Winslet, but I know how you. It's fucking uh, yeah, go your heart, go your heart, go your heart. No, I was I was initially going to say Anne Hathaway. I give us Jessica Alba. What the fuck? So yeah. you're saying? Hey, Jessica Alba. You're saying Anne Hathaway. You're saying Anne Hathaway. The credit was Kate Winslet. Oh, oh you can't, bastard! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had it the palm of my hand, <laughs> and I took it away right. myself for the role of Black Widow in any Marvel film she's appeared in okay famously made by ScarJo yes your options are Emily Blunt Rachel McAdams or Kira Knightley they play Black Widow Emily Blunt Rachel McAdams or Kira Knightley mm. I'd say Emily uh, Blunt 
Okay. I am thinking she seems like a more actiony sort of girl. BC, that's why I was thinking as well. But she she's kind of only came into that after the whole Black Widowness mm. happened. No, I don't know. I'm I'm still going Emily Blunt. I'll I'll say Mick Adams just because she's lovely. Because oh, she was actually, actually in no. like Looper. No, think about, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think about Scarlett Johansson before she was Black Widow. Though, the type of part she was taking, not a million minds away from the kind of part Rachel McAdams. I'm going for Rachel McAdams as well. So, call him Sam Rachel McAdams. Michael, you're saying Rachel McAdams and Shan? saying Emily Blunt. The crowd enters Emily Blunt. Ah! Yes, and he's too ahead. Talk myself out of it. <laughs> Talk myself right out of that park. Hey? Uh, two left. Right, come on, Heron, we need these. Well, there's we no way we can want it now so unless Shan's completely shite the next one. These right and Shan needs to get them wrong. Oh, Shan's get them wrong. Give me a danger break. So, it's the movie is instincts. Men in Black. What? Men in Black. Oh, yes. oh I swear. And Josh Brolin. And the rule is K. Yeah. Yes. Tommy Lee Jones. And your options are Joe Pesci, Sam Neill, or Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Uh, Clint. I'm thinking Clint. Okay, they they try and beat Shannon. They do go different, so I'll go Sam. All or nothing. Well, you did that the last time too, though. I don't know the fuck it. The correct answer is Clint Eastwood. Yes, and he's won it. He's only gonna want it. Oh, I'm eating dinner tonight. No, no, if I, if, no, no you have one today. <laughs> no, there's one left. There's one left. That doesn't. I don't give a fuck about this last. I'll, I'll say whatever I want. All right. I'll, I'll answer a question outside the realm. Clint, Clint would have been good in that role, no? Yes. Clint would have been, uh, it, uh, look at the look, look at the enthusiasm drop uh, out of them now, they know <laughs> that I've won. The final look question that I wrote down was for the role of Jay in Men in Black. Mm. Will Smith. Your options were? Will Smith. David Schwimmer, Matt LeBlanc, or Matthew Perry? Matt LeBlanc. David Schwimmer, Matt LeBlanc. So like I'd say Matt LeBlanc because he was the kind of good-looking one, and he was kind of the funniest. Nah, I'll I'll, I'll go Matt Perry. I'll go, I'll Matt, go Matt LeBlanc. Just because he's you know, I can see them seeing him as like a sort of white Will Smith, like good-looking, funny, charismatic. <laughs> a white Will Smith. You know what I mean, though. You know what I'm saying. This way, that's, that's, a, that's Matt LeBlanc has never been no, described as a white. <laughs> 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 this is the that's week. definitely the title of the podcast. <laughs> Matt LeBlanc is a white Will Smith. <laughs> But honestly, this is the way casting the regular thing. But I would go, Ma- I would go Matt LeBlanc. I'd say Matt LeBlanc. Oh my God, that would have been awful. Which leads to say that in at one he... point, Men in Black could have been David Schwimmer and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been horrid, hey, wouldn't it? That would have been horrid. Geo, Geo, I may have to ask, as, <laughs> as the victor of that phenomenal game show that you had, do you have to say, as the one of that phenomenal series of games that you had, Shut is up. there any sort of cash prize? Uh, you can have a can of Foster's yes. Rock Special. Like. That's my currency. Shan, try it. It's really bad. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> this is Foster's Rock Special. It's Victory Can. Rock. It's lovely. <laughs> victory Can tastes like nectar. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Say the name of it again, we didn't get the name. It is Foster Rocks Spiced Rum. Oh, it's rum and beer. No, it's just made it taste like rum. All right, well, they fucked it up. Well, it's four and a half, and uh, okay. I'll write the light on. Gives me sip your fucking victory can, you fucking prick. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sham, Sham, well well done. It was 
you know, you can't say anything. Like e even with the Man of Steel dispute, you still you still beat us a couple of points. Like you know, well, well done. Oh, that is a butter. Congratulations, I've ever but, seen. I'm, I'm I'm saying congratulations. Look, thank I'm you, just Michael. Trying to be a nice guy. Well, you, you, bit, you bit me by one, Mickey. Actually, don't be the best sore loser there, Mickey. <sighs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm a best sore winner, but you can't be a sore loser. <laughs> I, I was going for gold, man. It was all in a honey, man. <laughs> Feast our famine this fucking tent. Okay, and we'll move on to recommendations. And I'll go with my one first. I want to recommend Fanboys, which is a film, funnily yes. enough. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, w w w one would hope. <laughs> I, I don't always recommend films, but uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a film about these group of friends that they're diehard Star Wars fans, and what uh, one of them has been diagnosed with a terminally ill disease. So they it's set before uh, the Phantom Menace has come out. So they decide to try and break into George Lucas's house. They see an early cut of the Phantom Menace for their friend. Mm -hmm. And it, I was I was just reminded of it recently because I don't know if he's heard of the Star Wars fan that this mm -hmm. actually happened to. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, Daniel Fleetwood. Yeah. He, he had cancer and there was a big campaign for him to see The Force Awakens and he got to see it, which was amazing. And he, he, he recently died there on Tuesday, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, just that, that, that whole story with him it just kind of really hit me like when I first read about it I was nearly kind of tearing up and stuff and I just think it's obviously it's a very sad story it's a very sad thing that happened to him and his wife mm. Ashley and uh but I think it's really great that he actually got to see the film <laughs> and that like Lucasfilm and Disney let them see it like mm. they're they're there could have been all this kind of business bullshit behind it. I, and I think it's all even, even. I think it's very much life imitates art. Yeah. And as well, at the same time, I love just how emotional. Again, this is this is how much you feel for Star Wars. God love you, critter. This is how much you're ingrained no, in your but, love for Star Wars. No, but it's. I just. I just think it's. It's a really good thing that he got to see it and that Lucasfilm made him see it and that there is this much kind of community and support behind it and, you know, the like the internet can often be a bad thing and be mm. you know be very negative and just spew hate out <laughs> into the world but you know the, I shouldn't be here but but I can't get the fuck no no, no Michael no Michael you're right Nick in the same week where like right. Air France tries to do a promotion for people in America to go to fly to France to see Star Wars before it comes out just for sheer commercial gain stories like that just resonate to everybody else much more do you know yeah. what? All, all joking aside, and kind of taking it back from like you know, me so you're getting very emotional and trying to take a hand and stuff again. It is just a beautiful story, and you know the guy was huge Star Wars fan. You know, probably the very same as yourself. And like you've always said, the Star Wars basically equates the happiness for you, and I'm very sure that it was the same for him. And for him to get that last blast of happiness, and they kind of have that wee thing about seeing it before everybody else, yeah, before he passed on. That's a beautiful thing, and like in regards to fanboys, it's very much you know life amateur art, which is yeah. That's 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 why I kind of just brought up, right, and just generally to say that I'm just happy that the internet and the community that support them just they did a good thing. Yeah, choose it can be a tool for good, definitely. Yeah, hmm. it's I just I'm happy that it happened. Bam. Uh, 
my recommendation this week, it's hard one to top, considering how emotional it's getting <laughs> up on here, but uh, my recommendation this week is The Crucible, uh, 1986. It's based on uh, the Arthur Muller play from the 1950s, which, oddly enough, was an allegory of McCarthyism. A lot of people say that it's ridiculously slow. A lot of people say that they don't really like the storyline. They think it's about naff and parts. I generally like it. I like the fact that it's set in... It's it's about the Salem witch hunts. And I like the fact that whereas opposed to period films, especially American period films, that all look the same. They may be showing you this time in history, but because of modern technology, they've all got this sheen date. Whereas The Crucible actually looks like it is set in like the 1670s, 1680s. It's drab, it's not trendy, stand out, and it shouldn't because that's mm. the way the world looked at it's the Victor- time. It's very Victorian. Yeah, well, I mean, not even so Victorian. Like no, but like a lot of in America, people say, uh, assume it's like the West and fucking yeah. dusty. And, uh, dusty. Just very dusty. Very dusty. But and, I mean, uh, I, I, I just like the fact. Not, I just I just like the fact that it kind of represents that world as it is and I like the fact even these small niches like all the actors they usually you see period films and all the actors have got these gleaming shiny white teeth but all that you know all the actors and that they're wearing like mouth guards and it's all kind of rattled away teeth because obviously dental hygiene wasn't up to fuck all back then <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know what some CS girls but nobody just <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very good film it is slow if you're not a fan of slow films it may not be for you and it's Day Lewis as well and he always just puts out some of the best performances ever because he's probably one of the best actors I've ever loved mm. uh, give it a go Gary Owen Gallagher yes my recommendation is a film that's actually shown in Derry next week it's the Ford Film Festivals next week mm-hmm. and yes. I'm always raging I'm never here to see it but there's a film on at the most ideal time possible if you're living in Derry, the 21st, about half four, I think it is, the Wolfpack is shown. Have you all seen the Wolfpack? No. I'm dying to see a taste in the trailer for it, though, right? The tickets for the film are only about £4.50, which is ridiculous, because I paid about eight quid to go see it. It's fantastic. Basically, it's a do- I, every time I'm on the show, I always recommend documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about these six brothers called the Angelou Brothers who lived in a tiny apartment in the lower east side of Manhattan, around the Ch- Chinatown area. An it's apartment? A, it's a big high-rise sort of tower block. And basically, they grew up in this apartment for years and their dad would only ever let them out maybe once or twice a year it's it's ridiculous when you think about it. like living in Manhattan and you're living like the 17th floor of a building and the only way they can connect with the outside world was through films uh-huh. so they watched at a very young age I'm talking about 8, 9, 10 they watched all Tarantino stuff all of Batman stuff so this film is basically this girl has one day was walking around Manhattan seeing them because they, they all look ridiculously weird <laughs> it sounds stupid they all look weird uh, she goes talks to them ends up becoming friends with them they invite her to the apartment and she just basically films how they live and it's the most dirty dingy looking apartment but these guys love and they just love film and TV and all they do is watch uh, films so their whole thing is just basically our life revolves around watching these films and they recreate entire films uh, one of the brothers writes scripts based on watching the film he doesn't write he doesn't get the scripts he, does. he literally watches Reservoir Dogs and writes it as he's uh, watching it and watches it and watches it he watches The Dark Knight and they uh, make their own costumes and Jesus. film the films in their own apartment because they can't they're not allowed outside or they get out once twice a year he built like a Batman costume out of fucking cereal boxes and all uh, and so, uh, like ser- like the because like the parents didn't let them leave and stuff and this is the uh, whole thing uh, uh, and it's like when people see it as a sort of a sad thing but there, there's definitely moments in the trailer where it rises above that and it, it's a really it's a great film about the human spirit too it's just like they'll always yeah. find something they help them one of the, one of the major parts transcend, where they are do you know what I mean it's great it's about these six brawlers growing up and what happens when all the brawlers turn 16, 17, 18 all of a sudden they're stronger taller 
and better than their dad who's kept them in the spot for all these years a bit of well, not. <laughs> just, just, but like, there's always fantastic things. I, re- I would definitely recommend going to see it, especially there's just a chance if you're obviously most people in the area will listen to podcasts. So mm. you listen to podcasts, you have you have a chance to go see it once in the cinema. I would highly recommend it because I just had no, to pay for it and download it and I watched it in the house and it was grand. But the chance to see it in the cinema is unbelievable, especially some of the shots and how the one son's so passionate about film and he recreates all his favorite films. Would highly recommend it more than anything else. I think it possibly just even though I haven't seen it, just shows the beauty and the power that cinema can have. The people that oh, maybe definitely, are definitely disaffected or maybe disconnected from most people, but definitely I'm, I'm dying to see it now. I don't really know much about it until you said that, but I'll give it a go. Hmm. here. Um, just recently I'm reading a book at the minute called Adventures in the Screen Trade, written by William Goldman, who uh, was the screenwriter for. All the Presidents Men, Bush Cassidy, and Sundance Kid, and Marathon Man, and he's written Stacks as well. He wrote Harper, Paul, you know, he's wrote all these other, but those are sort of three big ones he's known for. And just, I just finished the chapter on Bush Cassidy and Sundance Kid and what it was like to work on, and um, just maybe when I watch the film again, uh, it's and <laughs> because I, I was trying to push uh, two of my friends around the house all night, I was trying to push them to watch Bush Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And they wouldn't. They didn't want to watch it. Why would you ever have they push them when they watch that film? I don't know. Because <laughs> one, I'm seeing the sting, and I oh, you like a sting? It was a sort of you know, I wouldn't say it's better because it's hard to say which is better. But anyway, Bush can say something as kid, and it's it just made, I just watched it again because I was like, oh, fuck you, He's like you're away home and then you're away off to bed. I'm fucking watch Bush can. That's what I wanted to watch for the last fucking six hours. Anyway, ten cans. So uh, sort of. I had ten cans later. I was watching. Uh, Rich cans and the Sundance <laughs> uh, fucking pizza at three in the morning. <laughs> 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 but uh, that was funny because it's true. But uh, anyway, <laughs> what are you all? Uh, no, it's it's a great film again of uh, again about uh, the old west becoming new and this kind of stuff and all too. I mean, it starts off. Uh, I mean, there's that color fade at the start. It starts off in like a sepia kind of brown, where it's Paul Newman walking into a bank that he used to know and they probably robbed at one point uh, and he says what happened to the old bank and at this point you know if you haven't seen the film before at this point you don't know that he's a bank robber you know it's Paul Newman so he's probably one of the title characters but anyway you walk down and you're all and he's like oh, what happened to the old bank and he's just like oh, it was beautiful and the guy says no nah, we, had, we, we had to reinforce it no we had to change it and he says no you shouldn't have it was beautiful and he says people kept robbing it and he says ah oh, I saw a small price to pay for beauty Mm-hmm. And they leaves, but then uh, there's just I mean there's another altercation, but then eventually it fades into color. Then, but it sh- it shows these two old West men, like old, uh, you know, oh, just what would you say, sort of frontier men. Frontier men. It's the second time I've done that for you. I know, I know. <laughs> what the fuck? Well, I, but anyway, and it's just, but it's such a great thing. And and the thing that w- interested me about the book is is or, or, or what. Uh, Goldman said about it was he says most people most cowboys would stay and fight and the reason why that the studio didn't pick up the film is because they don't stay and fight they're like fuck us I'm away mm. <laughs> you know it's not like John Wermers was all I'll pick up that gun and I will shoot you you know, you know it's just yeah. like fucking right uh, there's <laughs> six you never catch me I'm off <laughs> aye there's boys coming after him on a train six boys and big fuck off horses <laughs> coming after you they can obviously shoot very very well as Sundance points out because he can shoot very very well and you're like these boys mean fucking business and that's the future coming after him and so what William Goldman says was interesting about the script is when they go when they escape eventually Bolivia he said 
they're they're not trying to escape. They're trying to relive the past. They're trying to recreate those nostalgia moments of Robin Banks when they were younger yeah. by starting to rob banks in Bolivia. I, I think it, even them going for the shootout at the end is them trying to recreate the the well written to exactly. West, it's, 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 it's fucking. I never really thought about the, that in that way. I mean. Mm. In my head, it was just had all these modern sort of crime things in my head, like you know, uh, oh, I, I could never do anything else. I mean, they could have, they wanted that, it's fine, and they could have been hired guns and this kind of stuff and all. And it's the film's actually factually quite accurate too. You know, they became the Bandido Yankee and all down on there, and they retraced the you know whatever happened at the end. But um, uh, it's a thing that's just a lovely new kind of perspective on the film just this heart that he had about it he says no they, they weren't trying to run away they were trying to recreate their youth because they were young men I know they were played by Paul Newman and Robert Redford but they were very young men Yeah, and that's just class it just gave it such a beautiful nostalgic because they're making a recreation piece they're making a nostalgic film and they're trying to create their their youth it's like it's fucking class just gave me a new, a new view of the film lovely stuff okay we will wrap it up there folks thank you so much for listening if you want to get in contact with us suggest some topics weigh in some of our topics also I need your would you rather questions I can't come up with any more it wasn't on this week's episode if if you don't send me your would you rather questions it's not going to happen is this a threat that's <laughs> a fucking threat call it out the listener <laughs> Even if you think it's shite, just send it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> the views will plummet, Maggie. <laughs> so, you can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies, or you can email us, Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. Thank you, what? Dominic, for touching my knee. <laughs> um, you, you can leave us comments, reviews, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and also on ACAST, where you can get interactive show notes and links. I have been your host, Michael Breslin. Shankle's been Shankle. Yeah, yeah. Geo's been Geo. How do you do? Calm Heron's been Calm Heron. Oh, gee. Dominic Phelan has been on Mushies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have chlamydia. <laughs> <laughs>